Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can we just take a minute and just lift our hands all over this place and just begin to worship and magnify the Lord? We've heard some dynamic testimonies throughout this morning of God's redeeming power, of God's power of restoration, of how God has healed, how he is set free. Let's just take a moment and just tell him thank you. Wherever God has found you, let's just begin to tell him thank you. Whatever pit God rescued you from, just begin to tell him thank you. Wherever God has brought you from, let's just take a moment and just begin to thank him. We came for no other reason but to magnify and to glorify him to lift his name up because he's worthy not of some of the praise but all of the praise come on let's just lift him up father you are great you are mighty there is no one like you we lift up our voice and we tell you father that if it had not been for you that we don't even know how to identify where we'd be but God we lift up our voice and we just say thank you thank you God for rescuing us thank you God for seeing what in us and what we've seen in ourselves God thank you that when we didn't know how to get out of things that you presented a way of escape father we just want to tell you we thank you this afternoon hallelujah 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 god we lift you up we magnify you we exalt you we give eviction letters to depression in the house this afternoon we give eviction letters to everything that doesn't look like you everything that is taken up camp in our house we give eviction letters to it right now in the mighty name of jesus the name that still saves the name that still works miracles the name that still opens doors we give eviction notices in this room right now to everything that does not look like you father everything that doesn't sound like you and even as I was up for five days now at 3 a.m. 4 a.m. 5 a.m. God gave me something for you and I want to just allow you to get this in your spirit before we begin to rock it out in God's word and before I give you what God gave me to be here in this amazing opportunity God said to me I need my daughters to start declaring that they do not have a relationship with lies I say God you have to break this thing down to me it was about 3 a.m. about three four days ago he said miracle when you go to North Carolina I want you to tell the people that they have to break off every relationship that they've had with a lie everything that sounded like God but it was not him everything that looked like God but it was not him everything that felt like God but it was not him everything you convinced yourself of but you found out that it was not like him I heard him say so clearly you have to break off the relationship that you've had with lies so much that the lies have started to sound like a truth God says my daughters have relationships with things that do not look like me and I need them to cut off I need them to sever ties with things that they become comfortable with. So I don't know what your lie is. I don't know what it is that the enemy has convinced you of. But I know it's a lie. Huh? I don't know what he has told you. But I know it's a lie. I don't know what defeat has come to your house. But can I tell you that it is a lie. 
though a sickness has even found its way to your body. But can I tell you it's a lie. In Jesus name. It's not God's truth for you. I said to pastor. I just pray that God lets me to sleep. And not wake up at 3, 4 or 5. I guess I should have been more. Uh, how do you say? I guess I would have been more specific. Because he had me wake up at 5.30. I say God you have a sense of humor. And when I woke up this morning I was really wrestling. Well, with God had me to minister to you. He gave me the message for tomorrow. From torment to travail. But he had not given me what the title was. What he wanted me for today. And I say God you're kind of backtracking this thing. You know you're kind of uh, moving ahead of me. And I say God what is it that you want me to minister. To your women. He said something really amazing. And I really love him. He said. I want you to tell the women, though they did not ask for it, they now have it. What will you do with what you have? I said, God, are you sure? You know, it's my first time they're meeting me. Give me something nice. He said, no. Tell them that though they did not ask for it, they have it now. What will they do with it? And so in this moment. I invite you. To be open. To whatever God wants to do in this room. We have been recipients. Of hearing amazing testimonies. Of God's grace. Oh his grace. And his redeeming power. But I sense him saying to me. To encourage you. To be open. To what he wants to do. In this room. I sat there and I said God. May you bring freedom. To women who have heard about it. But have not experienced it. And then pastor. And I'll have you seated in just one moment. Pastor asked me. Would you like to come. During lunch. I normally do. Because I love being around people. I'm a very social person. I love being around people. But I felt God said. Just go take some time and worship. Do not eat. Just Take some time and pray and worship for these women. So in the room I just began to worship God on your behalf. And to praise him for those things that you don't know how to praise God for yet. To praise him for those things that are still uncomfortable for you. And you don't feel comfortable to lift your hands in that situation just yet. You don't feel comfortable to thank God for that situation yet.
You've heard women give their testimony and you praise God for them, but in your heart you know that that's just not where you are yet. And God said, I just want you to pray for them. Because as they are hearing of freedom, there is an activation in the spirit that will take place not because they are ready for it, but because they but because they came in the environment where some other women have experienced it. And sometimes when you are not ready to experience what God has for you, I hear you, Father, that God will put you in environments that will have the ability to be a transference for you. So though you do not know how to walk in freedom, the transference of what God did for someone else. He can do that very thing for you. Somebody say amen. And so I'm here today. Just to declare his goodness. To declare that it is an honor. And it is a privilege. To stand before you great women. Pastor Sharon could have got anyone to come here. I imagine her and her husband, they know a few people. They could have called someone to come. And when I sat there, all I could continue to think was, God, you called for me to come from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Huntersville, North Carolina. To a group of women who represent something that they may not even be able to identify yet with. I say, God, why me? You could have had someone else. He said to me, last week I was in Buffalo, New York doing revival. I woke up that morning. And God said to me, miracle, I'm changing the assignment of your life, is what he said to me. As pastor has stated, I've been preaching a very, a very long time. It's, it's, I can do it in my sleep. And I hear God very clearly. Just because of relationship with him, you're able to hear him. And he said to me, I'm calling you to fields. And caskets. I say God break down what you're saying to me. He said for the rest of your life everywhere you go. Because he told me this year don't take every assignment. People will invite you don't go everywhere. I'm, I'm narrowing some things down for you. And I am giving you a voice that will only be received to those who have ears to hear what I've given you. So I don't need you in every environment. I only need where I've assigned you. And he said just last week, I'm calling you to fields and caskets. I said, God, explain to me what that means. He said, I'm calling you to that which is hidden, that which is buried, and that which is dead. That's the only environment I'm calling you to. I'm not calling you to have people run around the church and talk about blessings of increase. I'm calling you specifically to people around the world who have hidden areas of their life. Buried areas of their life. 
dead areas of their life. And I'm giving you the ability to uncover the things that have been hidden, to uproot the things that have been buried, and to speak life on the things that are dead. And so I want to tell you I'm not here just to be here, but I'm coming for the hidden places in you. I'm coming for the buried areas of your life, and I'm coming for those things that look dead because we serve a God that still resurrects. Somebody say amen. And so that's what I'm doing here. That's good news. Yes? That's good news for all of us. So as you take your seats, give God a hand clap of praise for the good news. Yes. 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 That is good news. Huh? Oh, that God still works when we have hidden places, buried places, and dead places. That's good news. Oh my goodness. That's so good. So I'm here by invitation from my friend and sister, Pastor Sharon. I am so honored to be here. God brings things around in full circle. I met her and her husband almost uh, like eight to ten years ago in Greensboro as I was uh, still uh, serving a ministry in the Virgin Islands. The church I worked for was connected to the late Bishop Otis Lockett. And I met them there years and years ago. And so I'm so honored that God would cross our paths again. I don't believe it's by accident. I don't believe it's by coincidence. I believe God has a way of setting us up. And he only sets us up for good. That's good news. He only sets us up for good. Even when it doesn't feel good. Even when you don't know what's happening. He's setting us up for good. And so I'm thankful for that. You all have read my bio. And the only other thing that I want to tell you before we rock it on the word. I get really excited when I read the Bible. Yeah? And if you hear me say rock it out, it just means let's go before God. Yeah? It's one thing that I want to say to you because it throws people off often. And I don't want it to be a distraction to you. You probably know where I'm going with this. People often ask, where is she from? She speaks with five different accents while she's ministering. But her bio says she's from Pittsburgh. This is crazy. So I wanted to just throw a disclaimer out there before we rock it out in the word. Just so that we're all on the same page. I am originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 2008, there started to be accents developed. At that time, I had not left the country. And I couldn't hear the accents. I would get up to minister. People would say to a family member, where is she from? The family would say she's from Pittsburgh. Indeed, she's from Wilkinsburg, which is an urban community. They'd say, but she doesn't sound like she's from Pittsburgh. They'd say these accents come out when she preaches, but she's never left the country. I went to a hospital that year, 2008, to pray with a woman who was dying. I walked into the room and for two hours straight there was no American dialect, but I couldn't hear it. I just knew the family was looking at me kind of strange. And they continued to ask me where I was from. I heard myself after about two years of conversation call the woman's daughter Sparkle. And her name was Sparkle. I could hear this accent and couldn't figure out what was going on. I stayed for a bit longer and began to pray with the family, left the hospital. Called my grandmother up on the phone. She thought it was someone prank calling her. She had no idea that it was me. She said, Miracle, what is going on? Why do you sign that? And I'm explaining, it won't go away. I can't, I don't know what is happening. I don't know. And she thinks I'm joking. I get off the phone with her. I say, Grandma, I say to God, 
God, you got to tell me what's happening. People are thinking I'm joking. They're thinking I'm just putting on. They're thinking something. He said, miracle, these accents are representation of where I'm sending you. And when I'm done with your life, it's not going to matter where you're from because I'm going to take you to places who have never heard about where you live. So where you live in the grand scheme of things is going to become irrelevant. I didn't know what God was talking about. At that time, I had never left the country. A few months later, I ended up moving to the Virgin Islands straight out of undergrad as my first full-time position in a pastoral role. When I got there, the accent was really similar. From that point on, for the past 10 years, I've spent a lot of my time being out of the country. And these accents randomly come and go. Sometimes I sound like I'm completely from Pittsburgh, and other times it just sounds a lot different. But I tell people that there's a unique thing about God. If he is able to take control of every aspect of our life, what is a dialect? It's a very small thing in the grand scheme of things, right? If he's the God that can raise someone from the dead, actually raising himself from the dead when you think about it. And then he has the ability to call someone forth who has actually been mummified. He comes forth out of his body after he's been stinking, after the Bible says he stinketh, speaking of Lazarus. Dialect is really just a small thing in the grand scheme of things. And so I just wanted to throw that out there as a disclaimer because I didn't want anyone to be distracted as it is our first time and hopefully not our last time together. I just wanted to make sure that you all were aware. It's something that God does. I don't fully have all of the explanation to it outside of the fact that God has done some really unusual things with my life. And I tell people often that if my name was not miracle, I'm not sure what the dynamic of my life would be. God blessed me in a really unusual way that he gave me a name that really spoke to the reality of everything that I would do. I started to hear God at five years of age. My parents have been drug addicted majority of my life. People couldn't explain, how did she turn out this way? I don't come from a line of pastors. But there's this amazing thing called relationship with God. And when you really have it, you really have it. When you really know him, you really know him. And so I don't stand before you in perfection, but I stand before you as a representation of a consistent process. I tell people I haven't done everything right, but I can say that I've never stopped and I've been consistent. And I do have a track record of continually saying yes to God, even when it was uncomfortable, when it was unpopular, and when it was not always seemingly favorable, you would not have caught me saying no. My continual response has been yes, and it's only because of his grace. And I'm fully and thoroughly aware that it's only his grace. Only his grace. On any given day, life could have looked a lot different. I'm thoroughly aware of the reality of who I am without God and what I'm capable of if I did not have relationship with him. Amen? Well, now that we have that doubt, are you all ready to rock it out in the word of God? Amen. You all have been so patient. I know you all have been here for hours. I will do my best not to keep you long because... Fortunately, in such a blessed way, I'm here on tomorrow. The message is different and what God gave me yesterday for tomorrow is very different from today. But I'll, I'll do this in a condensed way as Holy Spirit leads because I do believe God wants to bring healing and freedom to some of you all. Even as I'm standing here, I just really sense that God wants to really uncover some things in your life. So I want to be sensitive to how the Spirit of God wants to move in that way, if that's all right. Amen. Let's rock it out in Luke chapter 1. I'm not sure if it's your custom, but is it your custom? You can feel free to stand, but if it's not, feel free to stay seated. Luke chapter 1. Uh, this is a particular text that I'm sure you all have read and have heard 
have studied uh, over and over again. And it's the account particularly of Mary. It's something that we often overlook as it relates to the favor of God. We often classify favor in a lot of different ways and we never classify it in its correct way oftentimes. Uh, not because we not really are aware of it, but because sometimes we overlook that which is uncomfortable but yet brings results because we wish we could have gotten the results without the discomfort. And so oftentimes we skip over the things that we really need. But I really feel like God wants me to break this word down as we talk about, I did not ask for it, but I have it now. God giving us the response back, what will you do with it? In Luke chapter 1, uh, let's look at verse, uh, let's start at verse 26 and then we'll skip over to 38. Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26, it reads as follows. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Let me read it again. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will receive or conceive, actually get she received both, uh, conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Let's skip over to verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We know in this moment that the word of God is not only blessed in our reading, but in the application thereof. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do that thing that only you can do. We open our ears that they may be open and receptive to hear, God, what you have for us. We ask you in this moment, God, that you would just manifest yourself. That there would be evidence of fruit and freedom. That there would be moments of truth. That there would be moments that bring forth those hidden, buried, and dead things. God, have your way in us in this very moment. In Jesus' name we say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Word of God tells us that there is this condition called favor. And as we understand, pardon me, as we understand the dynamic of favor, we always proclaim it from the perspective of blessing, increase, opportunity. Uh, very rarely that we look from favor at a perspective 
perspective of what a person must go through, what they might even inherit, or what they might be forced to give birth to, not by their choosing. But in this particular text, the Bible tells us, according to Luke, starting in that 26th verse that we've just gone over, that God sends an angel to Mary and says to Mary, your response should be rejoicing. He then tells her, your response should not be rejoicing because you know what's getting ready to happen. Your response should be rejoicing because before the angel gives you a message, the reality is that an angel is now encountering you. The response of the angel was rejoice. Though Mary had not been informed on anything that should have given her the response of rejoicing. But the reality of the matter is that oftentimes we miss our ability to truly walk in the reality of who God has called us to be because we don't know how to give the right response because we're looking for the right information. But I hear God say in this season that though you did not ask for it, there are things that you've been given and now are being challenged by which you will do with it. The angel said to Mary, I'm calling you to rejoice. Rejoice, Mary, for you have been highly favored amongst all of the other women. Now, that would be something to be excited about. If you did not understand the reality and the cost of favor. So let me take just for a moment before we continue to rock it out in the text. And talk for a moment about this concept called favor. Favor often looks like a worst case scenario until your faith comes in alignment with it and shows you that fire has the ability to produce what comfort never could. And so in the same moments that we often call something a worst case scenario or a storm or a desert-like experience, we only call it that thing because our faith has not caught up to the reality of what God is capable of. And if I could just take one moment and encourage us as women to understand that our position and our posture in life has always been to give birth to a thing. This reality and this gift is not just subject or limited to childbearing. But when you look at Genesis and when God brought Eve on the scene, God brought Eve on the scene as a helper before Adam knew he had lack. The Bible says God looked around, not Adam. God looked around and seen that there was no suitable help me help mate for him he puts adam to sleep creates eve not out of all of his ribs just a rib and creates this woman when he creates this woman god gives her the job the duty the honor the ability to be a helper. 
Though Adam did not know he needed help. Adam had no clue of what he needed until what he needed showed up. Can I tell you that sometimes the enemy will rob you of what you're capable of because what you are called to do does not know that your presence is actually needed. And so while you're waiting for people to appreciate and applaud you, God is saying Adam didn't even know what he needed. And I created an entire human being because of what he was not capable of. So if God created an entire human being for another human being who did not know he needed that human being, that points something in our direction stating that we have the ability to meet needs before the needs are presented to us. Can I tell you women that you were created and birthed out of a place that was not even able to give identity to you. That's why it's so misplaced for a woman to look for a man to give her identity because man was not even created understanding her place. So what you really do is you rob yourself of the ability of really being who God has created you to be while resorting to someone else giving you what they were not even able to give themselves. I'm just talking about you did not ask for it, but now that you have it, what will you do? Daughters of the Most High God. I'm, I'm even going to put this statement out there that might be one that's hard for us to welcome or even accept as truth. But the reality of the matter is that oftentimes we only understand the true value of who we are when we're being for someone else what they can't be to themselves. Have you ever met someone and they only feel good about themselves when they're doing something for someone else? Well, it's actually not a bad thing because you were actually created to meet the need of someone else. But here's where it gets kind of interesting. There was a need for the entire world to have an opportunity of redemption. God said, huh, I have a plan for redemption. Or, in other words, God said, I have a plan for sin. And my plan or agenda for sin is to create someone who will not know sin and use him as they sacrifice so that we no longer have excuse to continue to operate in what God has given escape for. So he impregnates through the Spirit this young girl, scholars say she was anywhere between 14 to 16 years of age, maybe even as young as 13. And she was given this huge task to carry what she did not literally put in her own hands. And I believe the reason why God has me coming from this text for our time together this afternoon is because there were at least seven of you in the room who have been saying to God, I did not ask for this and I do not know what to do with it, 
But being that I have it, God, show me how to move forward. I don't know if it's the way your life turned out. I'm not sure if your children are not what you expected. I'm not sure if your marriage is not what you've expected. I'm not sure if you tell your emotions one thing, but your emotions tell you another. I'm not really sure what it is that's in your hand, but I can hear at least seven of you saying to God, there are things that I'm dealing with that I did not ask for, but I feel like it is an assignment that you've given me, but I still don't know what to do with it. I hear God say, your response must be rejoice. In the same way that he told Mary how to respond before he told Mary what she was going to experience, God says the same thing to us. Can I tell you that God says you do not need all the information to still give God the response that's due unto him. And in fact, it is ungodly to hold your praise hostage to God when he has already done more than enough. It's an ungodly thing. And it's a tool of the enemy because the enemy knows that praise and worship and prayer are the only tools that the scripture talks about that has the ability to shift an environment. Those are the only tools. So if the enemy can rob you of the tools that have the ability to bring freedom to you, he can allow you to start saying things like, this is how it's always going to be. This is how my mother was. This runs in my family. No one ever thought they would do that. Why should I think I should do it too? There is a lid that is placed on your value system when you do not understand that faith has the ability to shatter ceilings even if you found comfort in what you thought you'd never be we look through scripture and throughout scripture God uses discomfort so much more than what he uses comfortable situations is this not true the interesting thing about it, I give reference to this. I, I don't listen to preaching often. I know some preachers, they like their favorite preachers. They listen to their preachers. They learn from these people. For me, I've always felt like wanting to be like another preacher was strange. I, I always thought it was a sh- strange thing. I couldn't understand the concept of wanting to emulate, emulate, or wanting to imitate, or, or wanting to copycat someone because technically what's taking place should be out of the abundance of a relationship and not out of the abundance of a skill set. So I could see if I wanted to learn how to braid hair very well and I started to look at YouTube tutorials so I could braid hair very well or, or learn how to do my eyebrows, which I'm, I'm getting better, you all. Uh, learn how to do my eyebrows or, or something like that. But when it comes to ministry, there's an abundance that can't be taught. It's an abundance that must be experienced. And out of the abundance of what you experience with God is the reality of what you can demonstrate for people. And so I never really understood that dynamic personally. And it's okay if, if you love listening to ministry and, 
And maybe you're not particularly a quote-unquote preacher, though I do believe God has given us a message in all of our lives to proclaim, which is the literal defining factor of what preaching is. Uh, But there was one particular message that I've never forgotten. I was visiting Texas some years ago, a megafest. And I'm not familiar with, with all of the preachers, but I'm familiar with some. And, of course, all of us will be familiar with this one. And it was T.D. Jakes, him standing on stage. And that year, the theme was about birthing. And that was also the outbreak year of Dr. Jazz Shulak or Skulak. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. No one really knew who she was. But when she stepped foot on that Megafest platform... That year, she was the preacher that everyone was raving about. And she preached about a midwife and the job of a midwife in the birthing process. But T.D. Jakes came behind her the next day and said, I want to preach with you and follow me because it's all going to connect. He says, I want to preach to you not about the woman who's in labor, I want to preach to you from the baby's perspective. We sat there in awe, wondering what he could possibly say. Babies cannot talk. How can you preach from the baby's perspective? He began to say, the baby did not ask to be here. In fact, the baby comes out screaming for their life. The baby comes out bruised and bloody, not aware of even what's happening. And he says in such an eloquent way, how could we become adults and suddenly think life was going to be easy when you came in the world screaming and the woman pushing you was screaming and no one in the moment as you were being birthed was happy. How could you possibly think that as an adult all of a sudden life was going to be happy when you didn't even enter the world that way? From the very beginning you were bloody bluesed and mad. That's how you entered in. But it also proves the point that the very thing that we often don't want to experience is the very thing that has the ability to produce what we need. We call it a worst case scenario. God calls it an opportunity of grace. We call it the testimony we don't want people to hear. God says that's an opportunity for about 35 people to receive freedom. It's all about perspective and how we view what we've been through. And so I bring this thing in full circle, and I'm going to give you about three to four points as Holy Spirit leads and allows me to reiterate. Point number one, you will never walk in the power of God. I'll give you some time. Sometimes I talk fast. You will never walk in the power of God without acknowledging that your weakness produced something for you. There's no way there can be an exchange of God's power for your weakness until you look at your weakness as an opportunity for God to work in you. 
It's not until you're weak that you really recognize your need for God. This is why it's so important that we don't run from the discomfort because for the majority of us, the discomfort is the very thing that has brought us to the point of God's power. So Mary says, I don't understand the matter of what you're saying. But as the verses continue on, her response changes from I do not understand to be it unto me. Meaning, point number two, walking in God's power does not require information, it requires submission. Yes, you did not like the cards that were dealt with you. Yes, you do not like the circumstances that have happened. But they have happened. What will you do with them? There is a comedian, and I do not follow him, but I'm aware of a title of one of his tours. The title of Kevin Hart's tour some years ago was titled, Laugh at My Pain. He put up all the money to do this tour. Everything that it cost and required, he put out the money for it. I did not, for my personal sake, listen to his comedian act for the tour. I heard it might have been a bit vulgar and not something that I would find interesting. But the gist of the entire tour was him using his personal experiences that were negative and using it as an opportunity for gain. This is why you have to be really careful with how you count things out because while you're running from opportunities, the world is running to them and they're capitalizing on the very thing that could have kept them stuck and it's moving them forward in a way that we'll never know. He said, yeah, I didn't make all of the right decisions, but let me create a whole tour out of it and I guarantee you I will sell out every arena and he did. Laugh at my pain and in the same way we look at this dynamic from the perspective of feeling as though we need to have all of the information of what God is doing in and through us as if he's like a calculator having the need to calculate every which way and everything that he does unless we come to a place to say I approve of the result instead of saying I don't even know the result but I trust God's calculations can I tell you today that God is saying trust what I am calculating because it will always work for your good and it will always serve for the purpose of his glory it will always work for your good it will always serve for the purpose of his glory so why did God choose Mary the movement of Catholicism worships her as the standard of submission of surrender some even would go as far to say that she must have been perfect herself. There are prayers that are designated specifically in her honor. The reality of the matter is that that was never meant to be the purpose. But any time God uses a person to create or set a standard that other people feel like they're never capable of, a platform and podium is always given. I lived in the Virgin Islands for, for, for uh, two years. 
the uh, what what are they called? Uh, Rafi. Thank you, Rastas. The Rastafarian movement was based on a man whose last name I'm going to butcher, Sir Leslie. Sir, you know who I'm speaking of. This man. This man was said to have been of the lineage of King Solomon. There were all of these amazing things that he did in his day with the connection of Ethiopia and different countries that were at war. It was never his goal, and there's actually an article that's written where he publicly states before he died, that it was never his goal to be worshipped as an idol or to create a movement where people would say, Hell, Celestly, Hell, Celeste, whatever his name is. But the reality of the matter is that when we see someone who has created a standard that we think we would never be able to do or keep or manage or sustain, where do we put them? Above ourselves. You may say you don't do that, but how often do you call someone who you feel can get a prayer through quicker, faster, or better than you because you don't think you're capable of it? You created a platform for people spiritually not even knowing it. You've made people's prayer ability an idol and you don't even know it. We've turned intercessors into our personal psychics or our personal gateways to God all because we don't understand the reality that we too have access even if it doesn't look the same way. We're looking for our life to be camouflaged or cloned into someone else when God is saying, do you want your results to be the same too? Do you want your experiences to be the same too? Because you don't know what they paid and you don't know what they went through and you don't know what they're still experiencing. You don't know if they slept in 10 days. You don't know if they have trouble eating. You don't know if their spouse has left them. You don't know if they really make the money they say they make. You don't know they had a foreclosure sign. You don't know that the car they drive that they say they own they're actually renting. You don't know their story but yet you're wanting their results. But what happens when the results of a person really aren't even their results? It's fictional. So Mary says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even really understand what's getting ready to happen in my life. But if God says he wants to do something with me, and you're an angel, which means you have what I'm now calling God cred, then my best response should be yes. But what happens when your best response does not produce the best results? What happens when God is truly leading you to give him a yes, but you recognize that the reality of giving him a yes may produce some things you did not plan for? Do you then retract back on your yes and use it like a layaway and pick and choose if you want to pay on it or not? Or do you stick with the commitment that you made because you realize truly that God won't withhold a single good thing from you? There's things that God produces in our weakness. And in order for us to truly walk in God's power, we cannot act as though our weak moments did not produce us into being the pillars that we are. I love something that 
Michelle Obama said, which many people still classify her as the first lady of the United States of America. She said something interesting, and I've been sharing it because I find it funny, but I find it relevant as it relates to women really understanding what they're capable of producing. Her and Uncle Barack, you know, my uncle, you know. You know you all have pictures of your house, of them, like they're your family in a frame and everything. Uh, got them all up on the wall, right? And, uh, you know, aunt and uncle, you know, they were out at a restaurant, and they see one of her old boyfriends. You might have heard this story. It's quite interesting. They see one of her old boyfriends. President Barack says to Michelle, aren't you happy you married me? You would have ended up with him. Aren't you happy you married me? You ended up with me. I'm the president. You, would, you don't even know what this man does. Does he even work? You don't know. And Michelle, so cool, calm, and collective, you know, so poised and just fly and graced, says in a way that only she could say, well, actually, if I would have married him, he would have been president. I thought, you know, she's a bad sister, you know. But what she was saying is I recognize what I am capable of giving birth to. I recognize that my presence did not, I hear you Holy Spirit, my presence did not just create our children, my presence created you. And isn't that what happened in the book of Genesis? Adam had no ability, wow, Adam had no ability to create. He only was given the task of giving a name to what God had already created. It wasn't until Eve came that he gained the ability to create. He had no creative ability until Eve came. Your role as a woman is the ability to create and produce what people cannot. So while people may walk away from you in friendships and relationships and even children and even work environments, the reality of the matter is sometimes you have to look at yourself and say, they did their self a disservice because I know what I'm able to create. I hope you connected with another creator because I know what I was able to do. Knowing who you are. So Mary gives the response, be it unto me. We hear this scripture, we quote this scripture, we read it often, especially during Advent season. But the truth of the matter is that any person will come to a place of surrender or submission when they realize that they have no power against the one who they may try to oppose. You ever watch a boxing, uh, pardon me, you ever watch a boxing match? Yeah? And you know in the boxing match, the coach or referee or whomever will throw in the towel when they know the other person has no ability to come back or bounce back or be resilient again. Because there's no ability to do it. 
And in the same way, surrender and submission is us saying to God, for me to not surrender to you would me be saying, I don't need to throw in the towel. When you don't surrender, what you're really saying to God is, I don't need to throw in the towel. Though you're laying on the floor, unable to move, have no ability, you still refuse to throw in the towel as if you have power against your opponent. I just hear God say, stop opposing me. I don't know what it is that some of you all have been fighting against. But I just hear God say, stop opposing me. Surrender. Because what you really, what you're really doing is your, I hear you, Holy Spirit. Oh, God. When you continue to oppose God and you do not throw in the towel of surrender, I hear God say you're spiritually committing suicide. You're not being a warrior. You're not being a strong woman who can make it on her own. You're about to lose everything. And I just hear God say that there's at least two of you in this room. At least two of you. Who have felt like you're just losing it. You're just losing it. And God says that is not a lie. You are. You are. And you will continue to do so until you throw in that towel of surrender. You're fighting against a you're you're fighting oh man God. You're fighting against a system that has a proven track record to never lose. And, and you're, you're fighting against a system because you don't understand it. And, and, and you're telling yourself that you'll surrender when you get it. And, and you'll surrender when it works out. And, and you'll surrender when it turns in your favor. But I hear God say that favor does not always look like what you think. Because favor to Mary looked like people talking about her her entire life. Favor looked like a mother having to witness her son literally give his own life. Favor looked like people calling her crazy her entire life. But be not confused. The angel called it favor. You're thinking it's ridicule and God is saying, no, you don't know what favor looks like. You don't know what favor means. You've been told that favor means the blessing. Well, let's go get our brother Joseph and see what favor looked like to him. Because it took almost just a few shy years of 20 years of him experiencing all kind of havoc until he's seen the manifestation of what God promised him. And throughout the whole text and account of his life, the Bible continues to say God favored him. Everywhere he went, every jail cell he found himself in, every obstacle he found himself, he could not get low because God destined him to be high even in a low place. Your place right now can look low, but God is saying, I can lift you up high in a place that looks low if you surrender. I can lift you up in what looks like a low place. Let's recap for a minute before I give you our last and third point. We said point number one was the ability to walk in God's power, 
requires us to recognize that there is something gained in our weakness. Not every weak moment is a bad moment. The moment becomes bad when you continue to remain in that weak moment, acting as if that weak moment is your normality. We said point number two is that the reality of walking in God's power does not require you to know all the information to know how to respond properly. You're looking to respond to God when you feel like God is giving you all that you need. And God is saying, daughter, the fact that you have breath in your body is the evidence that I've given you what you need. Don't get this thing confused. You are on life support. Don't be confused. It is only in death that we realize we are not in control. Those vocations you had planned, death doesn't care that you made payments on your cruise. Huh? Death doesn't care that you planned to go on that trip and you've been saving up money for a year and a half. It is only in death that we recognize we are not in control. Your plans bow to death. Your plans bow to sickness. We're not in control. We just think we are. And God lets us think that until we realize that the results we produced are slim pickings from what we expected. Doesn't even scratch the surface. It's why the book was created in 2013 when God vetoes your plans. It's all about the reality of when God vetoes your plan is because he is inviting you to something that is greater than what you could have put together. You can't put together the type of life God is trying to give you, I hear him say. You can't even try to create the type of blessings that God is trying to give you. You couldn't even put together the perfect love story if you could. Only God does stuff like that. And he only does those sorts of things when we surrender. Last point, I want to take you to another passage of scripture. And immediately you'll see the correlation. It's also in the book of Luke in the 22nd chapter. Thank you, Father, for your word. Are you all thankful for his word today? I'm very honored to be with you. Luke chapter 22, we're going straight to the reality of the greatest example of what was given, though he did not ask for it, but he knew what to do with it, was Jesus. Luke 22, verse 47. Let's read it. No, pardon me. Let's start in 39. This is the account, of course, of the prayer that Jesus has in the garden. Coming out, Luke 22, 39. Luke 22, 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, meaning his disciples, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Last point, which is our third point together today. The finished product or the completed will of God in your life. The finished product or the completed will of God is manifested in your life when you give up you. When you give up you. Many of us in this room today have been trying to hold on to us. We've been trying to hold on to those parts of our story that we don't want people to know. We've been trying to hold on to those things that are not always easy to talk about or comfortable. Because the reality is, you always feel, what will people think? If they knew what you don't always talk about. And I can tell you that in my own personal journey with God. That I recognize that there was so much freedom and so much power and vulnerability. That I've kind of built so much of my life around the subject matter. Most people feel very uncomfortable sharing their life. Well mine is pretty much an open book. I've always felt like it just wasn't that serious. I I always felt like if my life could help someone, why not share? It's just not that serious. I didn't think, I didn't think that much of people's opinion of me that I would not present my vulnerable areas of life to be freedom for someone else. I, I didn't think my comfort was worth it if it's for the sake of someone else being free. And so I spent majority of my life sharing, sharing, sharing about my life, being in drug houses and left and all sorts of things, low self-esteem and wanting plastic surgery. I really, really wanted a new nose, all sorts of things. Not happy with me, but no one would know it because I'm smiling, these things. But deep down, I wanted to look different and I wanted a new nose. I really, I just had this thing with noses, you know. I, I didn't want a Michael Jackson nose, but I wanted a cute little Hollywood nose, you know. And, and then I thought one day if I were to marry, which majority of my life it was not a desire of mine, I thought if I do marry one day and I have children, oh no, my nose is going to be all the way out here. What am I going to do? Oh yeah, yeah, you know. And I wrote a book called Treasured. The Truth About Your Worth and Value. And it was a book that I originally written for single women, but then it developed into a book for married women, divorced women, and also widows. Uh, people don't often minister to the widows. We speak to the one who is divorced, but we don't speak to the one who has experienced death. And it's a very difficult thing, a very hard thing. And so I wrote that book. And when I wrote the book, God said to me, now I want you to walk it out daily. If you're going to write about it, You need to live it. And so I began on this personal journey of embracing every aspect of my life that God had for me. And I close with this moment of self-disclosure. 
and a moment that we will have with corporate prayer, declaring some things over our life, walking into some areas of truth, and speaking to those hidden, buried, and dead places. I had a circumstance take place after not dating for years and years. I made a decision last year to date, very briefly, and it turned in not a good way. And I had feelings in my heart towards women I had never met because of an unfortunate circumstance where they approached me through social media, causing the relationship to be pretty impossible because now I can't trust what I'm hearing. And for months, I had this bad feeling in my heart towards these women. I had never met them, but they knew me, and they reached out to me and made the relationship very uncomfortable. I don't know who's saying what. I, this is not really my life. I don't even know how these things work. And I just, I'm not used to those sorts of women conflicts. It just has not been my life. But I couldn't shake that I had these grudges in my heart towards these women. Though I had prayed and said, God, if this is not the person for me, you show me. And in 24 hours, I started getting messages from women about the person. And though I was angry, I knew God was answering my prayer. And God said to me, you cannot dictate how I answer what you pray. Be thankful that I responded. So for about three months, I had this negative feeling. If I would see people that look like them, I just didn't feel comfortable. I thought it wasn't fair. God, I've been faithful. Based on your grace, you've allowed me to keep myself. I haven't even really dated. And then I decide to, and it turns so negative. This just doesn't seem fair. And now I have these negative feelings in my heart toward these women. He said to me in May, I want you to write a prayer in your journal for these women and for the men. I want you to pray that I bless their life and pray that I bless it real good. Pray that I just do something amazing in them that just rocks their life. Pray. Pray like you pray for other people. You pray for them. I say, okay, I can do that. But to every new thing God wants to do, there is a sacrifice that he will require of you. So the next day he says, I want you to message these women. These women who offended you, who you've never met, I want you to message them. And I want you to ask them for your forgiveness. I said, God, that doesn't even make sense. He said, yeah, it does. You've been holding grudges in your heart because of what they did, and I want you to ask them to forgive you. I said, God, but they're the ones who messaged me. I don't even know these women, and I wouldn't even have the grudges if they hadn't even did what they did. The grudges exist because of them. Shouldn't they call me? He says, do you want me to use your life as an example or as the standard? Message them. I message these women. I'm very thorough when I write things. So I had like five paragraphs. 
thanking them. You taught me so much. I preached my whole life, but I've never had a lesson like this. And I'm saying these things, and please forgive me. I've had negative feelings in my heart. But God used you to show me what I needed to see, and I thank you. I don't expect you to message me back. But I'm doing this because I know God told me to. The one woman, I knew there'd be no response, or she may not even look at the message. I was in the middle of doing conferences at the time and back in British Columbia, Canada on the West Coast. Before I got off the call from that service that night, I had this indicated that there's a message on Facebook. And it was one of the women. She said, Miracle, I got your message while I was at work. I tried to act as though I did not care about what you said. But God won't let me go to sleep. And now it's time for me to message you. She began to say, you don't know the feelings I've had in my heart since this circumstance happened. I was very wrong for what I did. It was my own personal desires that led me to message you. And though my intention was not to hurt you, I do know my intention was not good. She then said, God had been telling me to message you. And I didn't do it. She said, you don't know me. But I know you. And I've been watching you since you were a teenager. And I've always wanted to be like you. I didn't understand how someone so young back then could be so vocal and just have so much pride with their relationship with God. I didn't get it. It was, like you, it was like no one existed, just you and God. And I looked at you as the standard of what it meant to be like God. And so I thank you for reaching out to me. Because I want to tell you that I'm sorry for what I've done. I looked at this message. I said, God, look at you. I didn't even know that this woman even knew me. And if I had not responded in a godly manner, my response would have held up someone else's freedom. I have to tell you, for three days, we have voice recordings of God leading us to pray for one another. A perfect stranger who did not make a good decision. About a week later, I'm still ministering in Canada about faith. It was in May that God said to me, faith is not a result. God is not going to ask you, did it work out the way you thought? Did it work out the way you thought faith was going to produce it? He said, I'm not going to ask that. I'm just going to ask you, did you have enough faith to believe it was possible? I'm not going to ask you about the result. I'm going to ask you about your position and your posture. Because faith is the position you take in a matter. Faith is the posture you carry in a matter. Days later, 
I meet this man through a mutual friend who was a friend to him, a stranger to me, making an initial introduction between myself and this ministry overseer. I've spent a life very closed, not to people, but relationships. I've felt really good with God. I have great friends. We travel the world. I just felt good. There was nothing I was searching for because I felt that I was born with what I needed. And so I meet this man. And within less than a week, God says, this man is your husband. In less than a week. I'm preparing to fly to Africa. And before I go, we're going back and forth to introduce each other to each other's families. Because within days we knew what God said. I say, God, this has to be you because uh, this whole marriage thing is not something that I was interested in. Because I live a very, hear this guys, a very comfortable life with you, Lord. There's no disappointments in you, Father. I don't know disappointments from you, God. So I didn't see the need for it. But God said to me, you've done some great things as a single woman. But you don't know what I'm getting ready to do in your life with this partnership that you or him didn't really have much to do with. It's almost like an arranged situation, to be honest with you. A woman I've never met, seen a photo, listened to a message, was with a group of women. They all started to weep at a luncheon and began to pray that Mark Walker is Miracle Reed's husband. Having never met me, she makes a connection. God seals the connection. And I share that with you, clearly being newly engaged and being partnered with someone who does ministry as well. As he's in Tennessee, I'm here, and we don't live in the same states. God said to me very clearly, I would have not given you my son if you had not released my daughters. I would have not done that because you had unforgiveness in your heart. God said to me, it didn't matter how much of a loving person you are. It doesn't matter how often you preach. It doesn't matter how many people you pray for and they're sobbing and weeping on your shoulder. It doesn't matter. Because there's unforgiveness in your heart. But when I did that, he blew me away with an unexpected blessing. And I do not stand before you from the perspective of a single woman proclaiming preparation for marriage. Because the reality is every woman in the world will not marry. So I do not believe in preaching preparation for marriage. I believe 
preaching preparation for the fulfillment of what God has created you to be. And if that fulfillment includes a husband, praise the Lord. If it does not, praise the Lord. Your response is based on who God has created you to be, not based on what God has given you. And so I thought it would be fitting to close with that particular aspect of my life because this was not something I asked for, but it was something and is something that I have now. Something that God is challenging me with and challenges us both as we've done some live videos on social media that have gotten quite the traction of people knowing Miracle Reed is a single preacher who is the spokesperson for single women who really loves her life. And this single man who is a bit older than I am, who is also a single preacher in ministry overseer. And so people have been watching Marked for a Miracle is our page. Marked for a Miracle, his name's Mark, clearly a miracle. And people have been asking these questions about freedom and deliverance. They're not just asking us questions, how did you know, did it know? Because we're being transparent about our brokenness, about challenges that have made us better for who we are before we knew that there was another factor that would be introduced. And I'm declaring this to you because I believe that there are some things that God wants to introduce into your life as you release the thing that has been holding you back. That might be a bad business deal. That might be a business partner who was not honest. That might be an investment. That might be something you were believing God for and it did not work out and you're still holding on to the disappointment. But in order for God to introduce what he has for you, it comes by way of you realizing that faith under fire has nothing to do with what attacks your faith. It has everything to do with what your faith can still stand in the midst of. It's not about what pushed you. It's about what sustained you. It's not about what fought against you. It's about what you outlasted. So with that, I ask if you stand with me. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And I want to declare that the things that God desires for you to have in this season of your life, that you don't miss it because you don't see the power, of what you've learned in weakness, that you don't miss it because you are still looking for information and you're not giving God the right response, and so that you don't miss it because you're still not willing to surrender and give God the proper response, which is always yes. You do realize that, right? That the proper response to God is not sometimes yes, it's always yes. There's never not a time to give God your yes. And so I want to invite you, just for a few moments, because our time has been well spent together. But we dare not rob God of the opportunity to bring some level of freedom and renewal. 
Allow him to bring those things to your mind that you've been trying to bury. You may have a thought that comes in your mind in the next five minutes that you've never thought of in ten years. And you thought you were over it. You thought you let go of it. You thought you released it. But if it's coming up, it's because it did not come. I hear you, Holy Spirit. If it's coming up, it's because it did not come out. And God can only bring healing to what comes out. God can only bring deliverance.